This morning, we are actually starting a new sermon series. Um, We are going to be looking through the summer, throughout the summer, um, at the fruits of the Spirit. So we'll be in Galatians chapter 5. And this is, for me, a really, um, I think it's going to be a very exciting sermon series for us. I love whenever we can take passages that have become very familiar to people who have been in the faith for a long time and and see them with fresh eyes and see them... um, for what they are, which is the powerful word of God. Amen. So I'm really um, excited about what will come. Starting next week, Pastor David is going to begin with the first fruit, talking about love. Um, And then each Sunday, we will have a different uh, message on a different fruit. But today, we're going to take sort of, um, I guess, a bird's eye view of the passage, the entire passage that um, will be our foundational text. Uh, That's going to be Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. And we'll go ahead and get into that. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. Um, Galatians is in the New Testament. It's the third of Paul's epistles. It's between uh, 2 Corinthians and the book of Ephesians. And so once you have that, I invite you to stand as you're able for the reading of God's word. So beginning with the 13th verse, it reads, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire, love is, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension and factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of God. Amen. You may have a seat. So this morning, um, as we sort of look at this passage um, in a big view, uh, I I want to see what Paul is saying in four areas. We're going to look at the Spirit versus the law. We'll look at the spirit versus the flesh, the spirit in community, and then finally, works versus fruit. So let's go on and get into it. The spirit versus the law. So one thing that you need to know when um, thinking about this book and this passage is the context. So Paul is writing to the Galatians church, and really it's probably more accurate to say Paul is writing to churches in Galatia, to the body of Christ in Galatia, and he is trying to address very specific um, circumstances. 
Um, it's been talked about before. I know I've preached about this before, but there was a group of people whose doctrine had taken root in this area, and these were the Judaizers. So the Judaizers were um, people who believed that in order to be saved, in order to, um, to, to have all that God had promised us, you needed to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, but also you needed to follow the Mosaic law. And that got manifested in very specific ways. So they believed that people needed to be circumcised and to keep dietary laws. And so what had happened is that in this, this community, in this area, um, people had become, began to accept this, not as um, we, the way we use the term legalism today. We talk about people who will have rules, right? You think of a church that's dogmatic or says you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. But this was a little bit different. This wasn't just um, a way of strengthening, I guess, the gospel. This was an, a different gospel. They had accepted a completely different way of, of living this Christian life. And so there was all of this um, contention and discord. There were people who followed Paul and who continued to believe what he had taught. And then there were people who were following the Judaizers. There were folk who had been circumcised and who were believers and who sort of um, took it as a point of pride that they now had um, fulfilled the law. And they, so it's like, I've got Christ and the law. (laughs) What do you have, right? So there are other people who did not think you needed to do this. So you have this conflict that is going on in this community. This is what Paul is speaking to. This is what he is trying to address when he speaks about the fruits of the Spirit, when he talks about discord, the importance of love. This was a church, this was a body that was absolutely in conflict. And Paul adamantly resisted this notion that you needed something other than Jesus Christ, something other than the Spirit of God. He resisted this passionately. The gospel, according to Jesus Christ, the good news is that our sins have been covered and washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so Paul is adamantly saying to to his brothers, to his sisters, to this church that he had helped to found, he is saying to them, look, don't go astray. Remember the good news that I preached you. And so what we see is him fleshing out then what it means to be in the Spirit. When Paul talks about the flesh, it's important to know that he's not talking about um, the body, right? He's not trying to say, look, the spirit is better or higher than the body. Now, this is a side note, but it's an important one for our church. We often hear talk about embodied worship, right, and embodying our Christian experience, Paul would have talked about that too. (laughs) Like like that is not contradictory to what's being said here. When we think about the flesh, it's not the body. The flesh was life that was not spiritual. It was life that was, in, in many ways you could say, under the law. Not that there was something bad, inherently evil about the law, but the law was given because we did not have the spirit. The law was given because we could not keep or honor God's ways, right? So when he's talking about the flesh, he's not talking about the body. He is talking about an unspiritual life. Does that make sense? So when we talk about embodied worship, we're not talking about fleshly worship. (laughs) We're talking about giving God praise and giving God honor with every part of your being. Body, soul, spirit. God cares about the whole person. Amen? Amen. 
um, a theologian, Dr. Scott McKnight, who is a, was a, I don't know if he still is, I think he is, a professor at North Park University. He was one of my teachers. Um, when talking about this difference between the spirit versus the law, he says, just as Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, so the spirit is the replacement and fulfillment of the law as God's instrument for moral guidance. In other words, the spirit takes the place of the law for the Christian. It's not that the law was bad. It's not that the law was wicked. Absolutely not. But the spirit now is what we live under. And through the spirit, we are able to live according to God. We are able to live righteously. So now let's think about the second dichotomy, the spirit versus the flesh. So when we talk about the flesh, again, it's not body. It is unspiritual life. The flesh is what Paul would have put under the category of the flesh, the law. Living according to the law is living according to the flesh because it is living apart from the spirit of God. The law was given because the spirit was absent. The law was given to keep people in line with God's will, to give people the ability to serve their God apart from the spirit. The spirit, life with, life in the spirit is the opposite then of life under the law. Paul desired that the people of God experience the freedom promised by God. This is a theme that comes up throughout the book of Galatians. You have been made free. You have been made free. But it's not a freedom to do whatever you want. It is a freedom to live your life under the Spirit. It is a freedom from legalism, the law, literally. (laughs) It is a freedom to have abundance. It is a freedom to have direct relationship with God. It is a freedom to know that through the Holy Spirit, you can actually pray according to God's own heart. We have been made free through the Spirit. Not freedom to do whatever you want to do, but freedom to live according to God's will. Freedom to serve one another. Freedom to be with one another. I want you to hold on to that because that's going to come up very shortly. See, when we pray, and especially in this church, we pray often about our community and about our world and about the violence that we, um, that we see all around us and about the struggles and the trials that are going on. We are always talking about what it means for us to serve, what it means for us to live holy and righteous lives that are not compartmentalized, but that go out into the world, right? That we make disciples by loving justice and by doing mercy and by walking humbly before our God. You know, you can't do that apart from the Spirit. You and I wouldn't even like each other apart from the Spirit. (laughs) And I mean that. (laughs) We can't sit in a church and bear with one another and love one another and be patient with one another apart from the Spirit. And so when we talk about what we have been made free to do and to be, we have been made free to be the body. We have been made free to live in community. So, and this brings us nicely to our next part, the Spirit and community. When we read passages like Galatians, when we read anything, because of the individualistic way that we often approach Scripture, it's easy to miss the larger message. 
we tend to see the fruit of the Spirit as kind of like a really holy um, and wise, because it's holy, uh, way to be a better you, right? Like, I want to be a person filled with joy and love and kindness and peace and patience, right? And it's, it has nothing, it's not connected to other people. It's not connected to the body. It's, this will make me a better person. This is the way God wants me to be. That's how we pray. That's how we approach the text. But Paul is saying something very different about the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just about you. It's not just about you being a happy, whole, new you, whatever self-help language is floating around of the day. It's about the body. We ask questions when we read texts. We tend to say, how can I apply this to my life? Right? What is God saying to me? How can I be better in the places God has called me to? Now, these are not bad questions. We should always be asking that. Like, God, what are you saying? How are you directing me? How are you leading me? How would you have me to speak? It's not that there's something wrong with those questions, but those questions are only part of the story. It's not just about how I can be better, how I can serve better, how I can do better, how I can hear better. What am I serving for? Who am I being better for? Who am I accountable to? God, when you are speaking to me, it's not just for me. How is what you've called me to do enhancing this body that you have called me to be a part of? You see the distinction. Not just God, here I am, fix me, use me. God, here I am a collective I. Here I am in the midst of every place that you have put me in. Here I am in relationship with the people you have placed me in relationship with. You see this. How do I serve better? How do I love better? How are you speaking to my brother or my sister through me? How do I live my life in a way that glorifies you and draws all men and women to you? You see this. The text tells us this. In the very um, first little paragraph of the the, the passage, in verse 15, and it's easy to miss it in in the English, but it's an important point. It reads, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Paul could have very well just said, if you bite and devour each other, you will be destroyed by each other. That watch out. When you read this in the Greek, um, the watch out, stands out because it kind of feels like it doesn't make sense, sort of. It's one clause and then watch out and then another clause. What Paul is trying to say is that, look, I have seen some things that are going on in this community. Not to you individual who is reading this text, not you alone, but to this body. Watch out or you will devour each other. It's seen again um, later on when Paul talks about the, 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 the sins. When you look at the list of the sins that Paul names, the sins are communal sins. One thing that's very important, um, when, we, when we look at this, it's easy, and I've heard this um, preached, I've heard this talked about in Bible studies, we often talk about these lists, right? The fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. We talk about them as they are sort of um, exhaustive lists. These are the fruits. These are the works of the flesh. That's not what this is about. 
making lists like this was a very common uh, sort of teaching tool that people would use. You make lists to talk about these different things, and they were used to illustrate a larger point. So the, the fact that Paul names and identifies these lists of sins and these fruits is very contextual. It's speaking specifically and directly to the conflict, the strife, the bitterness, the backbiting, the, 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 the dissension that he saw in this community. Those sins are communal sins. They are sins that don't just affect you, your, your, you, yourself, and I. They are sins that affect the body. This was the problem with the Galatian church. And one theologian talks about uh, the image in this way. He says, when we think about the church, or we, we might think of, you know, Paul talking to one group of people, and then the Judaizers talking to another group of people, and people are trying to figure out what's going on. But that's not really what was happening. It was Paul had made a case, the Judaizers had made a case, and folk had taken sides. And there were people who believed very strongly and passionately that this thing was right, and there were people who believed very strongly and passionately that this thing was right, and they did not get along. And so when he says, watch out or you will devour each other, he means that thing. Now, how many of you all feel like that sounds a little bit familiar when we think about the times that we are in right now? If we think about the body of Christ, and not just those of us who call this their church home and maybe have drunk the Kool-Aid, but when we think about the body of Christ, when we think about the church, can you think of places in your life where there are brothers and sisters of Christ who have chosen one way, and there are brothers and sisters of Christ who have chosen another way, and the two shall not meet? Some of you can probably think of this happening in your own families right now. One thing that I have noticed over the past few months is how entrenched Christians have become in partisanship. And I don't just mean political, you know, I'm a Democrat or you're a Republican, but whatever umbrella you have chosen to encamp underneath outside of Christ, people have dug their heels in and shall not be moved. Um, Over this past weekend, we had our church retreat, and one thing that happened kind of spontaneously on one of the nights, a bunch of us just randomly started doing um, the Enneagram test. (laughs) So those the people who were there are laughing, because it really was bizarre. Like, I was sitting way across the floor. I had had a conversation with Doug and Jeannie earlier in the afternoon. I'm like, well, I want to know what type I am. And all the way over there, there's like a group of people who are talking about it, Pastor David came over. He starts talking about it. It was really a very interesting moment. So I discovered that I'm a type one. If you don't know what that is, I encourage you to Google it and find your type today. Uh, but I am a type one. <laughs> and so one, one characteristic of a type one is that we tend to believe, and I know it's true of myself, there is a right way to do things. There is a wrong way to do things. I want to do right. I want you to do right. Right. Like, so it's just so I I absolutely can fall prey to this partisan. I'm under this umbrella and I'm right. But let me say this as a one. This is hard for me to say. God does not care about your right. God does not care how right you are, how good your umbrella is, how effective it protects you from the rain just to extend the analogy really weirdly. God doesn't care about that. God cares about righteousness. So I might be right, right? I have my Black Lives Matter umbrella holding up, and I said, 
no, I'm not, I won't say that. But whatever I think about our current administration, and I am right. I feel right. But that right means absolutely nothing if I can't have a conversation with a brother or sister in Christ who is standing under an all lives matter umbrella, right? That right does not mean anything if it makes my blood pressure rise to have a conversation with someone who loves Donald Trump and thinks he's doing a fantastic job. That right means nothing. You might be right. You are standing under your umbrella and you are indignant when you see um, the signs of gentrification in your neighborhood. You might be right, but it means absolutely nothing if you cannot talk to a gentrifier. It means nothing. Now, what am I not saying? And you all who know me know that I'm not saying this, but I want to make sure I emphasize it. Does it mean that these issues don't matter? No. Does it mean that we should just come and sing our praises and we don't have to look at the world out there because we've been made one in Christ and so injustice doesn't matter? No. That's another umbrella, right? I call that the kumbaya umbrella. (laughs) No. It doesn't mean that these issues don't matter. It means that what is important to God is that oneness in Christ, that we have been made one. See, when I said that the fruit of the Spirit is not just about you being a better you, we cannot be the body if the only people we can worship with are people who are standing under our same umbrella. And you cannot love, you cannot have patience with, you cannot be kind towards your brother and sister who is saying, yay, Trump, unless you have the fruit of the Spirit. And the inverse of that for anybody who was like, well, you know what? (laughs) If you're saying, yay, Trump, and you're looking at me like, what's wrong with you? You can't love me without the fruit of the Spirit, right? We can't put down our umbrellas and be the body. And more than that, not only can we not love one another, not only can we not be the body, but we will destroy each other. I think that that can happen very literally, quite frankly, when I look at the world today, but there's also um, a a figurative or spiritual dynamic to that. What is the point of us being the body? We are called to be ambassadors for Christ. We are called to be witnesses. We are supposed to be that light on a hill that people look at and say, I need to go there. We will destroy our witness if we can't figure out how to love one another. We destroy our testimony if we can't figure out how to worship with people who are under different umbrellas. So what is the good news? The good news is that you and I are not responsible for cultivating fruit. You and I cannot cultivate fruit. I have Recently, we got a little garden at our home. We've been planting stuff, and we've got flowers that are, by the grace of God, um, going to bloom. I go out there. I look at them all the time. I water them. I say prayers over them, like, like, please don't let all these plants die. I have no power outside of that to do anything with the fruit of those plants or the flowers that they will produce or not produce. We can't do it. In the text, The two things that are juxtaposed against each other are 
the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. Now, people have a lot of different theories about why the works are plural and the fruit is singular. And it could be, you know, just to full disclosure, it could very well be that Paul, when he wrote fruit, he meant like a, a, a plural singular, right? So it's supposed to be the many fruit. That's very plausible. But I think that there's a better way. Well, it's the way I like to look at it. See, the works of the flesh, these are things that you and I can and we often do. But the fruit of the Spirit, that singular, it points to a reality that it is God who cultivates the fruit in our lives. That there's one Spirit at work, not many. And that one Spirit is a Spirit that produces fruit in our lives. Our responsibility is to yield and submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the work of producing fruit. Now, that is absolutely good news because let me tell you this. In the face of police violence, in the face of nonsensical acquittals, you cannot have joy on your own. You will not have peace on your own. I don't care how great you are. You can't muster that up on your own. In the face of the ugliness that we see around us, in the face of war everywhere, in the face of division and dissension, you cannot have unity. You will not have kindness. You will not have patience. You cannot do it. But if you are submitted to the Holy Spirit, if you are submitted to the work of our God in our lives through the Spirit, you will find joy unmistakable, a peace that passes all understanding. When you are staring at absolute darkness, you will absolutely know that there is light and it overcomes the darkness. Amen? That can only happen because of Christ and him crucified. As a body, our responsibility to one another is to help each other as we submit to Christ, is to remind each other of God's word, is to remind each other of the good news, that God has died, that he is risen, that he will come again. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We say that only on Easter, but my God, that ought to be the confession that sustains you every day of your life because that is the way that we live as the body. That is the way that we maintain our witness. That is the kind of hope. That is the kind of joy. That is the kind of patience and kindness and love that people see and say, I want some of that. Not because those people seem like really together people, but because those people seem to have something that I desperately need in this dark place. Amen? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. That is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And our worship team can come forward. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Father, I thank you that you know exactly what we need. 
I thank you that when your word tells us that you, that you would not leave us nor forsake us, that when you promised to leave us not as children without a hope, God, that when you gave your word that you would be with us to the ends of the earth, I thank you, Lord, that it is very specific Lord, the fruit of the Spirit is exactly what we need, when we need it, to be the people you have called us to be. God, it is my prayer that as a church, we would be submitted to you. I pray that as a church, we would not be led by anything but your Spirit. I pray, God, that you would help us to, on a regular basis, put aside our right in place of your righteousness. I pray that we would not become people who are rigid in our, in our ideology, that become rigid and steadfast in whatever umbrella we've encamped under, Lord, but let us be steadfast in you. God, we know that you are not a God of any political party. You are not a God of any particular ideology. You are not a God of any of the things we have constructed for ourselves in this world. You are God alone. You are sovereign and you are over and above all of it. And so, God, it is our desire to align our wills with yours. So, Lord, we repent of every time we have spoken an unkind and unloving word against our brothers and sisters in Christ who don't think like we think, who don't see the world like we see the world. God, we repent for every time we have decided that we could just do away with them, that we don't know what they do, we don't know what Christianity they follow, but it's not ours. Lord, we repent for every time we have built up a wall when you came to destroy those walls, when your very spirit breaks down those divisions. God, we repent for every time we have laid a brick to build that wall back up. God, we know that the work of being one body, the work of unity is hard. (laughs) It's so much easier to love people who think like us. It's so much easier to be patient when you know someone is eventually going to come around to what you believe anyway. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see how you are calling us to be one church, one body. For many of us, God, these conversations can begin in our own homes when we leave here today. For some of us, it could begin with a phone call to a relative we just can't talk to right now. It might be a Facebook post on somebody's page who we blocked a long time ago because they keep saying things that just infuriate us. Lord, we ask through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give us love and peace and patience and kindness. We ask through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give us understanding that you would order our very thoughts and our tongues, the words that we say, let them be tempered by your spirit, oh God. God, we ask that you would forgive us for every wound we have inflicted because we've been more concerned with right than righteousness. God, we ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We ask that you would pick us up and Stand us up again on that solid ground that is the good news of your gospel. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are covered. All of us who confess him as Lord are covered by the blood of the Lamb. 
And so God, in this space and in this time, as we prepare our hearts to give our tithe and our offering, God, we pray that you would help us to do that in a very mindful way. Lord, everything you have called us to do, everything you have called us to do is for our good and for the good of your kingdom. And so as we give, we pray that you would help us to do it in a way that is cheerful and that is expectant of what you will do in this community, in this city, in this nation even, through the gifts that we give. Father, even even this act of, of tithing, even this act of giving an offering, we can't do it in a faithful way apart from your Spirit's leading. That we want your spirit to saturate everything that we do. Everything that we are. Everything that we give. Not us, but you. And Lord, we, your people, your children, will be careful to give you all of the praise, to give you all of the glory and all of the honor because you and you alone are worthy of it. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. This is such powerful words. And so as I was singing, the, the idea in all that we do, we honor you. you. We can't even say those words truthfully apart from God. How good is that? <laughs> like God saves us and then God empowers us to love him like we want to love him. He empowers us to want to love him. Right? That's so good. In all that we do, we honor God because of the spirit that is alive within us. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God, you are so good. You are so good. And we are so thankful, so honored, so privileged to be in your kingdom, so privileged to be your children. God, we thank you for the love that you lavish on all of us. We thank you for the love you invite us to share with the world that you so love. Thank you, God. So as we go from this place, Know that you have been made free through the power of the Holy Spirit. Know that you have been made free to love one another. You have been made free to walk in joy in the face of sadness and despair. You have been made free to have peace in a dark world. You have been made free to have kindness and to have patience with your brother and your sister in Christ. For some of you this week, I am praying that that will manifest itself in a very practical, tangible way. I am praying that some of you will have conversations you've been avoiding since Donald Trump got elected. I am praying that some of you will make phone calls you have not made, that you will change your Facebook habits because of the freedom that you have been given in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Go from this place now in the power of the Holy Spirit. Go from this place now in the power of the Holy Spirit that is alive and at work in you. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.